Welcome to this podcast brought to you by Agriculture Victoria and Mallee Sustainable Farming through funding from the Victorian Government's 2019-20 Drought Support Package. Like many sectors, agriculture has its own phrasebook of supposed truisms. Like, the season always breaks around Anzac Day, or it just takes one good year to reverse a bad one, or even plant as much as you can. Many of them, though, don't have the facts to back them up. If you want to plan for economic success, particularly in the Millowa, which in terms of cropping yield is one of the most volatile areas in the world, it pays to plan based on facts. A person who has sliced and diced the numbers of the region for a long time is agribusiness consultant with ORM, David Smith, and he joins me in the AgVic studio. Thanks for your time, David. No worries, Drew. Pleasure to be here. David, it's often said it takes one good year to recover from a bad year. You, though, have done the analysis, and that's not the case. It takes quite a bit longer from what I understand. So I think now, I think that um, probably in the 80s and perhaps even at the start of the 90s, if you had one bad year, you could generally recover from it with one good year. But now with the amount of money that it takes to grow a crop that you've got to put into growing a crop or running a farm business for 12 months, it takes about three or four years to get through a bad year. Of course, depending on how bad the bad years are and how good the year following it is. But that's the rule of thumb that we use, yeah. 80s and 90s, it took one year to recover. Now it might take three or four. And of course, the worrying thing is if you get two bad years in a row, Drew, that's when it really takes some getting back from. That's a very difficult thing to recover from, as you rightly point out. But against that backdrop is your analysis also shows, as most farmers know, that farming in Australia is difficult. It's, it, it's more volatile in terms of your return than compared to most other places around the world, from what I understand. Yes, so we were involved in an international agri-benchmarking study a couple of years ago. It showed that Australian wheat farmers, the yields were twice as variable of those as the the Northern Americans, the South Americans, the European Union, those sort of blocks. Our crops are about twice as variable in yield as the, the crops there. So it is a much more variable climate, makes it much more challenging, but on the other side, it is rewarding when you can manage to get things right. Well, the question is about getting things right. So with a backdrop like that in an area such as the Milwa, does this mean assistance with farm business management is more important than ever? I think so, Drew. Yes, no, it is really important. A lot of farmers can manage to get things right without assistance, but I think you learn more by reading more, by seeking more knowledge and Farm business management advice can help farmers to make those better decisions with more information behind them to make the decisions. I keep referring back to the 90s, about the start of the 90s, we've got a sample of farms that we follow and our sample said that about in the early 90s, a Mallee farm was about a billion dollars worth of land and had about $200,000 worth of debt. That same farming business now has got about $6 million worth of land and about $2 million worth of debt. So you're looking at six times as much in land value. Uh, the land value is the land size has grown, the farm size has grown, but that means it's much more of a business, I guess, and that's what we're really wanting to make sure people focus on. Machinery, for instance, you know, some new machinery items, machinery, eight hundred thousand dollars for a boom spray. I heard the other day, probably more than that for a harvester. They're really big investments and really critical that they're properly researched and decisions are made with the due process. David, with that significant increase in size, does that though mean an equal increase in profit? 
No, actually, that's the interesting thing. It shows that um, from the sample of about a dozen Mallee farms that we've followed for that 25 years, the profits are, are pretty much similar. Now, they do fluctuate from year to year, as we talked about with the fluctuating yields. But basically, it says that in the mid to late 90s, we'll make about a $150,000 surplus over our costs. And if we look at the the late teens to up to 2020, hopefully in 2020, we make more than that. But in the late teens, we're probably making about a similar on average over a rolling average, that the same profit of about that $150,000. So in the mid to late 90s, we're investing $350,000, $400,000, making about $500,000. And now we're investing about $1.1, $1.2 million and making about $1.4. That's almost concerning in terms of so much growth, but so little increase in profit. Yes, look, it's it's a concern, but it's also an opportunity, Drew. I mean, the, the value of our farming uh, assets have in, has just increased exponentially, and that's been great in that a lot of farmers now are worth many, many millions of dollars. But it's also the opportunity to tune that and to grow that and to make sure that we can make more profits. And that's why people are seeking advice, looking at the best ways they can to make use of these resources to generate those surpluses. In regards to tuning that then, David Smith, once upon a time the adage was if you've got land, plant every square inch of it. But you've actually broken down the numbers and sort of, and, and that's not really the best way forward always. So I guess, Drew, we found that I think it, as farmers we love growing crops and, as you say, want to grow as much as we can. But when we've broken it down and looked at it, there's always those paddocks that for some reason don't seem to perform quite as well. They've either got a chemical issue or they're low in fertility or you're late sowing them or late spraying them. There's something like that. And we've done some analysis that shows that if you leave those paddocks out of crop, perhaps sow them to a green manure or to run sheep on them if you like sheep, those sort of things, it actually makes growing the crops that you are growing a little bit cheaper because you're not spending money on those hard-to-grow crops paddocks or else you're getting a little bit better return because you're sowing the paddocks with a bit higher fertility. So our analysis shows that if in some instances, and the producers that we've done this with would back it up, that if you actually cut your cropping intensity from 100% to 75%, you can make as much money in an average year and you actually save, you don't make as big a loss in the drier years, which is what we're saying, what we referred to earlier is really hurting a lot of businesses now. That's a 25% reduction in risk as well, I guess, obviously. Yes, it is. But very true. Yes, you're investing less money. So a typical farm, you'd probably invest $150,000 less. So you've got less invested um, and you're making a similar profit. So it seems sensible, but it is very, very difficult to, to see. A lot of farmers now do gross margin analysis and the figures all seem to stack up pretty well. But there's a lot of other costs that are involved in running a farm as well as what your inputs are and what your machinery costs are. There's the cost of finance and the cost of overheads and the cost of labour. and Those sort of things all make a significant difference to what the profits are at the end of the day. It's not just putting a bit of chemical out there and putting a bit of fertiliser out there, growing a crop and selling it now. It's running the whole business, making the finance payments on machinery and land and expansion opportunities, paying people proper wages and giving them recompense for their for the hours they're working. Those sort of things are really important as well. When you're talking about this in your analysis, you refer to bottom paddocks as being, I guess, eliminated. What do you really mean when you use that term, bottom bottom paddocks? One of the benchmarks that we look at is that we'd ideally like a farm to have less than 10% variation between what the paddocks do. So if a paddock has got lower fertility, you don't sow it with a, 
with the same crop as a paddock that's got high fertility because it's going to cost you a lot more to put the inputs in to grow that crop. So we'd be saying if a paddock was in low fertility, you might sow it to a green green manure vetch crop to increase that fertility and your higher fertility paddocks you might sow to a crop like canola or wheat if it was in the middle of probably wheat uh if it was the southern valley or the wimmery you might sow it to canola to use up that that fertility that's stored in the paddock so i guess what we're saying is that the bottom paddocks uh if they're a typical crop paddock they would have less income from them and so what we're saying is to treat those paddocks differently and treat them with the respect they deserve and if they've got some subsoil constraints or if they're frost prone appreciate that they are the limitations and work with those limitations to grow the best crop and return for that particular paddock david many like to look over the fence and see what the neighbor's doing but you've had been able to look over many fences and see who's performing particularly well you managed to divvy that up really into the top 20 percent of producers what have you found that they do differently to make their operations more profitable? The top 20% of farms that we've looked at, they tend to spend their inputs. They put more investment into growing a crop. They put more inputs into a crop, but they also get the reward for it. So I guess it's called strategic inputs in that they know what they're using and they know what their inputs are and they use them strategically. Uh, The top 20% are also a little bit more efficient with their labour, so maybe a little bit more efficient with with how they're using their resources being themselves and their labour. They spend about the same on machinery, so it's similar that way, but they do make a generally... And their overhead's the same. Overhead's are set, so you can't really change them very much within your own constraints, but it really is that efficiency factor of working a bit smarter with the labour putting the inputs in strategically and making sure you get a return for them. So it's looking at the inputs and saying, oh, do I need to put urea on this paddock? Or does this paddock need zinc? Or should I leave this paddock out and sell it to fetch rather than trying to grow a barley crop? Those sort of issues are what the top 20% seem to be really good at doing and managing really, really well. Obviously, getting access to that sort of knowledge requires expertise out of most farmers' domain. And that brings forward the question then, well, What do you need to think about when you're actually trying to bring in some on-farm expertise? Yeah, good point. It really is important if you're looking for outside expertise to to find someone who's familiar with your local area. I don't, by familiar with, I mean knows what the area is capable of and knows what the neighbouring farms are doing. So I guess a lot of farm business consultants have a, a variety of clients from a variety of regions and it's good to get an overall view of what those clients are doing and then you can benchmark yourself against what the other clients are doing, what other clients in your region are doing, even what other clients in other states are doing. I know in our business, we look at businesses in interstate over in Western Australia, for instance, look at what they're doing and say, well, we're doing this more efficiently or less efficiently or spending more money on this. And it really gives you some things to look at your own farm performance and say, well, why is this figure different to what the average is or why is this figure different? And there's no right and wrong, Drew. It's a matter of why it is and can I improve it or do I want to work at improving it or am I satisfied that this figure is what it is? It's because I don't want to work after five o'clock at night, for instance, so I spend more money on machinery and that can be a choice as long as you know that's what the choice is and that's what the cost of it is. I think that's where information is really powerful in assisting businesses. David, I guess too also it's about being open to having someone question the way you work and challenging you and being able to take that challenge on board. That's very true and that's what farmers who seek out farm business management advice, they're the really satisfying people to work with. They ask lots of questions. They want to know why is this so and that's that's what's really 
I find really stimulating about working with really good farm businesses, which so many are, because they want to seek out answers and seek questions and improve and get themselves to being that top 20% and make, make a greater surplus and do a better job of looking after their land. David Smith, Agribusiness Consultant with RRM, thank you for joining me in the AgVic studio today. Thanks very much, Drew. It's been a pleasure. And I, as you probably can tell, I really enjoy talking about farms and farming business. And it's been a pleasure talking to you today. The information provided in this podcast is of a general nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast.